Chapter Thirty of the Unclassed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marzia Marianera. The Unclassed by George Robert Gissing. Chapter Thirty. Elm Court. In Beaufort Street they only learned that Waymark had not yet been home. Thence they drove to the east, and stopped at the police station, where Abraham saw the inspector. The latter suggested that Mr. Woodstock should go through all the houses which Waymark would have visited. If that search proved fruitless, the police would pursue the matter. Ida insisted on being allowed to accompany him when the cab stopped at the end of Litany Lane she gazed about her like one who had been suddenly set down in a new country the squalor and vileness so familiar to her of old affected her strangely under the present conditions the faces of people at whom she looked remained fresh in her memory for years after the long confinement and the excitement which now possessed her resulted in preternatural acuteness of observation Abraham spoke first with several people whom he had already questioned about Waymark, but they had heard nothing since. "'Are you strong enough for this?' he asked Ida. "'Hadn't you better go back to the cab and wait for me?' "'Don't ask me to do that,' she entreated earnestly. "'I must be active. I have strength now for anything.' Just as she spoke, Mr. Woodstock became aware of a disturbance of some kind in a duty little tobacconist's shop close at hand. There was a small crowd at the door, and the sound of wrangling voices came from within. Such an occurrence was too ordinary to suggest any special significance, but Abraham would not pass without making some inquiry. Begging Ida to stand where he left her, he pushed his way into the shop and listened to what was going on. A lad, well known in these parts as Loshy Dick, was, it appeared, charging the tobacconist with cheating him. He alleged that he had deposited half a sovereign on the counter in payment for a cigar, and the shopman had given him change as if for sixpence, maintaining stoutly that sixpence had been the coin given him, and no half sovereign at all. When Mr. Woodstock entered, the quarrel had reached a high pitch. Half a quid, the tobacconist was exclaiming contemptuously. I'd like to know where such as you is likely to get half a quid from. Lushy Dick, stung to recklessness by a succession of such remarks, broke out in vehement self-justification. Would you like to know? You'll blank. Then you shall blank soon. I'm blank if I don't tell you just the blank truth, and take the blank consequences. It was slimy as give it me. And if you want to know where slimy got it, you're out to blank will find out, cause I don't know myself. And how came slimy give you half a sovereign? Mr. Woodstock at once interposed, speaking with authority. Is that you, Mr. Woodstock? exclaimed the boy, turning round suddenly at the sound of the voice. Now, look here. I'm a going to make a blank clean breast of it. This year blank blocks bring a ring in the changes on me. I'll show him up. 
and Blankwell chance it. Slimy give me a quid afore he took his blank hook. The lad had clearly been drinking, but had not yet reached the incoherent stage. He spoke in great excitement, repeating constantly his determination to be revenged upon the tobacconist at all costs. It was with difficulty that Mr. Woodstock kept him to the point. Why Slimy give it me? Well, I'll just tell you, Mr. Woodstock. It was to do a job for him, which I never done it, after all. Slimy told me as how I was to go to your office at ten o'clock last night, and tell you from him as he'd no more occasion for his room. So he'd sent you the key, and you'd better come as soon as possible, and see as he'd left everything square behind him, and cause he was afraid he'd locked in a friend of yourn by mistake and in his hurry. And why the devil didn't you come? exclaimed Abraham, looking at him in angry surprise. Cause why, Mr. Woodstock? Well, I'll tell you just the blooming truth, and chance it. I lost the key out of my pocket through having a blank hole in it, so I thought as I had best just say nothing about neither Slimy nor his room, and there you have it. Abraham was out of the shop again on the instant. I found him he said to Ida, a house round there in the court. She walked quickly by his side, a cluster of people following them. Fortunately, a policeman was just coming from the opposite end of Litany Lane, and Mr. Woodstock secured his services to keep the mob from entering the house where Slimy had lived. As soon as they got inside, the old man begged Ida to remain in a room on the ground floor whilst he went upstairs, and this she consented to do. Reaching the garret, he tried the handle of the door, without effect. Knocking and calling produced no response, and within all was perfectly quiet. Hesitating no longer, he drew back as far as the wall would allow him, and ran with his foot against the door. The rotten woodwork cracked, and the second onset forced the lock away. In the middle of the floor, Waymark lay, just as Slimy had left him nearly twenty-four hours ago. Abraham scarcely ventured to draw near. There was no motion in the fettered body, and he dreaded to look closely at the face. Before he could overcome this momentary fear, there was a quick step behind him, and, with a smothered cry, Ida had rushed into the room. She was on her knees beside Waymark, her face close down to his. He is alive, she cried. His eyes have opened. A knife cut the cords. That was soon accomplished, but Waymark lay motionless. He showed that he understood what was going on, but he was quite blind. His voice had all but gone, and a dead man could as soon have risen. Ida still knelt by him, chafing one of his hands. When he tried to speak, she gently raised his head and let it rest upon her lap. In a few minutes, Abraham had produced a glass of spirits, and, after drinking this, Waymark was able to make himself understood. "'Who is touching me?' he asked in a hoarse whisper. "'It is all dark. Whose hand is this?' "'It's Ida,' Abraham said, when she herself remained silent. "'She and I have had a rare hunt for you.' "'Ida?' He endeavoured to raise himself but in vain. All he could do was to press her hand to his heart. 
In the meantime, the policeman had come up, and with his help, Waymark was carried downstairs, out into the court, and thence to the end of Litany Lane, where the cab still waited. Four days after this, the following paragraph appeared in the morning papers. The man wanted on a charge of robbery with violence in the East End, and who appears to be known only by the nickname of Slimy, was yesterday afternoon discovered by the police in a cellar in Limehouse. He seems to have been in hiding there since the perpetration of the crime, only going out from time to time to purchase liquor at public houses in the neighbourhood. Information given by the landlord of one of these houses led to his arrest. He was found lying on the stone floor, with empty bottles about him, also a quantity of gold and silver coins, which appeared to have rolled out of his pocket. He was carried to the police station in an insensible state, but on being taken to the cell, came to himself and exhibited symptoms of delirium tremens. Two officers remained with him, but the assistance of a third shortly became necessary, owing to the violence of his struggles. Towards midnight, his fury lessened, and, after a very brief interval of unconsciousness, the wretched creature expired. End of chapter 30 Recording by Marzia Marianera